right. As Heather said, my name is Adam Casel. I have the privilege of being the executive pastor here. Uh, we are in a series, we've been going through a series in 1 John, and we've called it Love Lived Out, because we're focusing on the practical ways to, to love God and to love one another. We believe that's actually one of the fo- focuses of this letter is practical love. Now, the author, John, knows this congregation that he's writing to. He knows them intimately. He has a pastor's heart. John is a pastor through and through, and he really desires the best for this church. And his heart for them is that they would stay faithful to Jesus. There's temptations to kind of lead them astray. And what he's desiring is that they stay faithful to Jesus. And a couple of things that he's emphasizing is trusting that Jesus came in the flesh, uh, like you and I have, flesh and bone body, and that he alone can take away our sins. He's encouraging the people who are reading this letter to love God and that our love for God is demonstrated by practical obedience to his commands. He wants them to love one another in practical ways. And this morning is our last Sunday in this series before we move into Advent. As I was thinking about this passage this morning, I thought about uh, my growing up years at home. And when I was in, probably it started, I think, late elementary and, and lasted through high school. If I wanted something extra, like a, a bigger purchase, a bigger purchase for my parents, I knew to go to my mom because I knew the best way to get the thing that I wanted. Now, it took some time, but it went something like this. I would ask my mom for whatever it was that I wanted, uh, like a new pair of shoes. And she would say, not right now. And I'd come back, mom, I, I need these pair of shoes. Not right now. And I would do it over and over and over until finally, through gritted teeth, she would tell me, if you ask me one more time, the answer is going to be no. So I knew to back off, give her a day or two. And then the next, when I felt like things had kind of calmed down, I'd come back to her and say, Mom, I'm not asking. Just to be clear, I'm not asking. But if you had an idea of when you'd be ready to decide, when do you think that might be? And at that time, more often than not, she would say, Yeah, go ahead and order whatever it is or buy whatever it is that you needed. See, that was a lot easier than going to my dad because with my dad, it was a lot of work. I had to come with facts. I had to tell him why this thing that I wanted was actually going to help me improve as a person. It was a need. It was going to help me do better in school or perform better in my sport. And I had to anticipate his rebuttals and come up with counter arguments for that ahead of time. And it was, like I said, it was a lot of work, so it was just a heck of a lot easier to go to my mom and just pester her and break her down. Now, some of us this morning, we love the sport of trying to convince somebody else to see our way. All of us, we all like to get our way, but like I said, some of us want to engage with somebody else, kind of have that fun little tussle. Now, John, through this letter, he's been presenting his argument about uh, living a Jesus way of life. Now, he doesn't do it through arguments necessarily, but he's painting a picture. He's showing us, the readers, the original recipients, what fellowship with God looks like. 
And he paints this picture of you want to be in relationship with God. And, and here's what a person who is in relationship with God looks like. And, and he even paints this picture of a person who's not. What, is, what does that look like? And so this morning, we're going to look at John's final thoughts on what he desires for his recipients. Think of it like a lawyer making his closing arguments uh, before the jury. So our passage this morning is 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. It will be up on the screen, but if you have um, access to that, I would encourage you uh, to follow along. John writes, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God, whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and the the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that you inspired John to write. Thank you that we belong to you. And so as our good father, you have something for each one of us. And so I ask for ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to know and to understand the good things that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so this morning, we are reading John's closing thoughts on eternal life. Now, as you read through it, it feels like disparate thoughts. Like John's just trying to think through, what are the different things do I need to cover or hit again? It seems like a pretty broad range of topics that John is talking about. 
However, there is a unifying theme, and that theme is eternal life. So these are John's last thoughts on love lived out. He's letting people know what's at stake. There's a chance we could miss out on eternal life. So again, we're going to look at John's closing thoughts on eternal life. Now, as I said, this idea, eternal life, is is the unifying theme. So I want to talk about what that means real briefly. It's a huge topic uh, throughout the New Testament, and it's mentioned three times in this passage. Now, there's lots to say about it, but what I want to highlight for us this morning is eternal life is not just about going to heaven when we die. Eternal life is not just about living forever. It is about those things, but what is important that we realize is overall, it really has to do with a quality of life. It's something that's so good that it's able to last forever. And we're able, by this eternal life, to live fully in God's presence forever. Eternal life is part of the hope of the gospel. That eternal life, or sometimes the age to come, that this idea, this reality is breaking in here and now. There's a future ultimate reality, but we can experience it here and now. It's sort of like an engaged couple who has their wedding date. They're moving forward to this life together. They start thinking about and making plans as if they're going to be together for the rest of their lives. They're not fully there yet until that wedding day, but they are making preparations for this life together. Or like a first-time expectant mom who uh, interacts with her baby as the baby responds to her voice or the food that she eats or uses her bladder as a heavy bag to kick and punch, especially at the end of pregnancy. I don't know by firsthand experience. That's what I've been told. John's saying this eternal life is true life. And we're going to look at five aspects of this eternal life this morning. First, John, uh, the first thing that he says, the first aspect is that there's a true testimony. Verses 6 through 12, um, John's saying that the testimony about Jesus is true. Now, the, the Greek word behind what is being translated here as testimony or testify is marturion. And we get the, our, our word martyr from that. Now, this is one of those instances where what it meant originally to the, um, in the first century doesn't quite line up exactly with how we often use it today. See, a martyr in John's time, was one who bore witness to something. It was actually often used in a legal setting. So a person would be brought into a court of law, he or she would be a martyr because they're going to testify either in favor of or against the accused. Now, we often use martyr to talk about somebody who dies for a political or a religious cause. Or we may even use it pejoratively of somebody who chooses to suffer for something that they don't have to. He or she is such a martyr. You know, oh, I'd love to be a part of that, but I've got to drive my kids all over the place. 
you know, the, a, a martyr for being a ki kid taxi, or oh, I wish I could be more involved, but I've got to work 80 hours a week. In John's time, people died for their allegiance to Jesus, but their death, the way that they died, bore witness to who Jesus is. They were essentially standing as a witness, Jesus being on trials, to say, who's Lord, Caesar or Jesus? Who's the true God, Jesus or one of these other local gods that we worship? Now, the true testimony that John's talking about here, what he says it is, is that we trust what God bears witness to. And that is that God has given us eternal life in his son, as he talks about in verse 11. There's even a small list of martyrs or testifiers in this passage. He calls the spirit a witness or one who bears testimony. He says that the spirit, water, and blood together give testimony, and that God himself is giving testimony to who Jesus is. These martyrs, they're character witnesses in favor of Jesus to say he is who he claims to be. And John's saying, if you want to go against God, you're going to call him a liar. These are people who believe in God. They don't, they don't want to do that. These witnesses that John lists, they they are brought in to let people know that Jesus is the Son of God and where eternal life is found. They give testimony to who Jesus is. Thinking about, you know, giving testimony, just talking about what we've seen and heard. I thought of my, one of my close friends in high school. His dad is named Doug. Doug is the greatest brand evangelist I have ever met. Now, he's not one of those who everything that he likes is the greatest or the best or uses some sort of superlative. That's what makes him such a great brand evangelist because then when he is really excited about something, you want to listen to what he has to say. I remember he, when we were juniors in high school, he wanted to get a new car. It was time for him to get a new car. So he decided on he's going to get a Volvo, buy a brand new Volvo, and for like at least a month, every time I... I went over to my friend's house, and Doug was there. He told me some new great thing about a Volvo. You know, he'd tell me, Adam, did you know if you buy a brand-new Volvo and you drive 100,000 miles, they send you a medallion, and he showed me pictures of what it, And then if you get to 200,000 miles, they, you get another one, and here's what it looks like, and 300,000. And then another time, Adam, did you know there was this guy in Texas? He drove a Volvo a million miles. And now, at that time, my dream car was a BMW, but listen to Doug talk about a Volvo, I was like, maybe it should be a Volvo. Maybe I should be switching what my dream, dream car is. So Doug could bear witness so easily and effortlessly about the things that he loved. And we see in this passage the same way that, that God and the spirit and the water and blood, they're witnesses to life in Jesus alone. It's who they love and, and they're saying, where life is found. So after talking about this true testimony, John shifts in the next few verses, 13 to 15, and he talks about what should be our true confidence. This is another part of our eternal life that's available to us. Verse 13, we could say, some have argued, that this is the, the purpose of the letter. 
John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this knowledge that we have, this confidence, or knowledge leads to a confidence, specifically confidence in prayer. And confidence actually is a pretty weak translation of what this Greek word means. It's actually more frankness, bluntness, assurance, boldness. Now, it's not such that we walk into God's presence demanding he give us what we ask for, but we know that we have the right to come to him because of what Jesus has done for us. There should be that sort of boldness that we have. That we know that as we pray to God, he actually wants to answer our prayers. Now, as John's talking about this confidence, and he's, and he's saying, you know, if you pray according to God's will, he, you have confidence that he's going to hear you. Now, for a long time, I, I interpreted that a different way in, until actually really st- studying this passage, and maybe you have uh, as well. I used to think that if there was something I wanted, I had to f- somehow figure out what God's will was and pray according to that, and then that would be my confidence that God's going to answer me because I've somehow magically discerned God's will. And so I'm going to pray for that in order to get the yes, this weird sort of maneuvering of getting in line with what God's will is and what he really wants. But what I think John is actually saying is God's ability and desire to answer our prayers is not based on our theology or our behavior, but it's based in his will. That God answering prayer is rooted more in who he is than who we are. A few weeks ago when I last spoke, I talked about the spirit of religion, and I think this is another way that it can manifest. It's not about doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong things or believing the right theology and refuting Wrong theology. I mean, behavior, character, and theology it matters, but not for getting God to answer our prayers. It's rooted in who God is, trusting that he's good. You know, it's so easy for us to just wring our hands in prayer, saying, oh, I hope he will say yes. God, I hope, I hope you'll say yes to this request that I have. Instead of trusting that God is who Jesus said he is, a good father who's going to give us bread and fish when we ask for it, not a rock or a snake. So praying to God and having the confidence that he hears us and will do what's best is a part of this eternal life that's available to us in Jesus. I remember early in my, my walk, I had weirdly specific prayers now, there's, you may have heard the cliche, God honors specific prayers because specific prayers honor God. And I think that's good. It helps us to know when, when God answers the, the request that we have for ourselves or, or for somebody else to be specific other than just general, God bless my family, my friends, etc. But for me, it was out of fear that I thought if I wasn't specific and what it was that I was asking, God would find a loophole and give me technically what I asked for without really knowing the desire of my heart. So what's important 
that, that we see in this is that the true confidence we have is that we have eternal life in Jesus. That this, this confidence that we can carry to God in prayer is a part of the eternal life that's available to us. Now, John gives two positives, you know, this true testimony and, and true confidence. But now we see actually a negative and something that's the opposite of eternal life. I'm calling true death, verses 16 and 17, where John's talking about this, if you see somebody sinning, pray for them, but not if they commit a sin that leads to death. Don't, don't pray for that. These are sobering verses and probably hard to understand, even maybe a, a foreign idea for us. Perhaps you're thinking, I thought Jesus could forgive every sin. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, these sins that lead to death, there's some debate, but scholars think, you know, in the Old Testament, there were uh, specific sins that people could do, and they were punishable by death. So the thought is that's what John is talking about here. Also, early in the Bible, in the Torah, it talks about people who sin with a high hand. That's the person who knows what's right and wrong, who chooses the wrong, does it anyway, and doesn't care afterwards. There's no remorse. So John's not talking about a one-time thing, a one-time sin that we may accidentally commit. I think he's actually talking about something we do repeatedly. It becomes a lifestyle. So John's saying when a person sins that way, they're actually moving away from eternal life toward this eternal death, this true death. Now, I want to address any fear or anxiety that for some of us who are hearing, wondering, oh my gosh, have I done that? Am I doing that right now? Here's the, the confidence. If you're worried about that, you probably haven't done it. This is one of those times, like if you're worried about doing something, you probably haven't actually done it. I think several examples in my life where having a conversation with somebody and later, they, they call me back and say, hey, I think I said something that may have been hurtful. Uh, will you forgive me? I'm like, okay. <laughs> they, they were worried about some, their conscience was so sensitive to it for something they didn't actually do. And even if there is something there, it goes away quickly because of their, their repentance. So if I, being evil, Jesus' words, can quickly forgive how much quicker is our Father in heaven going to forgive us? If we're told to forgive somebody 77 or seven times 70, time, seven times 70 in a day, how much more will our Father forgive us? I think what we see here is the key is intentionality and humility. Forgiveness cannot be received without repentance. If something happens, you get a not thinking straight, and I come up and I just slap you, and I walk away, you may think, that was really weird. And I forgive Adam, and I'm not going to hold it against him. If I don't come to you and repent, I'm not going to be able to receive the forgiveness that you've already extended to me. And I think that's what John is talking about here. So he's saying if if eternal life is true life, 
then this eternal death is true death. That, and it's important that we remember the worst thing that can happen to us is not that we die, because that's going to happen to all of us, but that we die apart from Christ. So after this negative of true death, John goes back to the positive again in talking about eternal life. And that he wants the readers to have a true understanding, verses 18 to 20. It's kind of a continuation of the last paragraph. He's saying those who are born of God, they don't continue to sin. And God keeps us safe from the evil one. So if John is writing against this idea called Gnosticism, which is that salvation and freedom is gained through some sort of spiritual or mental enlightenment, then true, John's saying if true enlightenment is eternal life in Christ alone. I love the boldness and the confidence that John's writing with here, that he knows Jesus You know, in verse 19, I'll read it again. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. John knows that he knows that he knows Jesus. He's also cognizant of that there are these personal beings who are opposed to what God is doing. They have influence over the whole world system that we have to live in. And they'll do whatever they can to hinder our eternal life in Jesus. But we have confidence that God is protecting us, those of us who are his. Now, he's not creating an us-them mentality, right? Like, if, you're, if you don't fit within this, you're, you're a them, and we can't trust the thems. But it's, it's so important to John, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, for us to find eternal life or true life in Christ alone and anything else will not do. John wants the readers to experience the true life with understanding that it's found in Jesus alone. Finally, John gives a one-sentence closing on eternal life, and that's what I'm calling true risk, verse 21. I said earlier, what's at stake is that we would miss out on eternal life. And John has been painting this beautiful picture of life with Jesus and what happens if we don't have that life with him. In some ways, this is a summary of the last four thoughts. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a great way to close. (laughs) So why? Why is John so concerned that people keep themselves from idols? It's because they distort true testimony. They shake true confidence. They lead to true death. And they darken true understanding. John says to guard or to protect or to keep yourself from idols. Not out of fear that they're going to jump out and get us. Rather that they're deceptive. deceptive. They take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. They, They convince us to take God's avenue of provision 
and make it God. What John wants us to stay, this is what John wants us to stay from, and we do that by pursuing eternal life in Jesus. So, for eight of the last ten weeks, we've been going through 1 John, looking at love lived out. And that love for God and for others is practical. Our theme verse through this is, dear children, let us love one another, let us not love one another with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John wants the readers who hope in Jesus to experience the fullness of eternal life as much as possible here and now. I said at the beginning that this reality, this eternal life or age to come is breaking in here and now, and we can experience it here and now. And so this morning for our, our practical takeaway is I want to just reiterate one of the things that we announced, and that is please participate in the giving wall. We have lots of opportunities still available. This is a, a practical way to love with our actions and in truth and to give to those who are in need. So we have lots of ornaments. Grab one on your way out. For those of you who are watching at home, contact Jacqueline. She'll take a picture of it and send it to you. Right. This gives us an opportunity to love those that cannot repay us. Jesus says that's one of the greatest ways to, to show love to others, and that's really the Jesus way of life. So, Lynn, if you come forward... So this morning, John's given us his closing thoughts on eternal life. These last thoughts on eternal life are about the true testimony of Jesus, the true confidence that we have, the true death if we stray away from that life, a true understanding of life in Jesus alone, and the true risk of idols. And when we understand that this is God's love, that love is lived out in practical ways, in action, and in truth. And as we close our time uh, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. So if you have those with you, I'd encourage you to get that. For those who are at home, I encourage you to grab whatever elements you're using. And when we celebrate communion, the bread or the cracker and the juice are a reminder that Jesus paid a price we can never repay. And we're not expected to. We're just expected to receive it and to live in that new life. The bread represents Jesus' body that was given on our behalf. The juice represents his blood that was poured out to make us clean. We've got plenty of time, so I invite you to take some time to reflect on what Jesus has done for us, ways that you've seen him set you free in your life. And as you look forward 
to his return. And so after some time, as you're ready, feel free to take the elements. As we do every week, we have a, a ministry time. So any ministry team members who are here, if you come forward. So we are, would love to pray for any need that you may have, physical, emotional, spiritual. Our ministry team members have been trained um, how, to, how to pray for others. So any need that you have, I invite you to come forward and get, get prayer, especially if there were some things that stood out uh, this morning. You know, if you're realizing there's areas where you're not experiencing the fullness of eternal life that's available to us here and now. If you want to grow in understanding, you know you need to understand this testimony about Jesus to grow in the confidence that's available to us in prayer. If you're realizing there's something you need to turn from or even just grow in, in understanding what God's given us in Jesus. This morning when I met with Lynn, we were talking about you know, during their worship time early this morning, what kind of stood out to them and big thing she said is, God's got this. And so if there's something, whatever it is in your life, you need encouragement and a reminder that, that God's got this, that the battle is his. I encourage you to come get prayer. Because our, our part is just to praise him, to worship in the midst of those times. But maybe you need some encouragement in that area. And so I invite you to come get some, get some prayer. those who are watching at home want somebody to, to pray for them, if you email prayer at indievineyard.org, we'll get you in touch with somebody to, to be able to pray for you.
So you're invited to linger as, as long as you would like. Again, we've got our prayer teams here. I invite you to come and get prayer. If not, uh, may you go secure in the love that the Father has for you and have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>